Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Eliza Pressman, and I have one of my favorite colleagues on today. She has been on the podcast before, Dr. Lisa Demore. She has a phenomenal column in the New York Times about teenagers. She's a contributor to CBS News. She works and collaborates with UNICEF. She has two of the most wonderful books on teenagers of all time. One is Untangled, Guiding Teenage Girls Through the Seven Transitions into Adulthood and Under Pressure, Confronting the Epidemic of Stress and Anxiety in Girls. Today, Lisa and I are talking about motivation, the misconceptions and judgment in extrinsic and intrinsic motivation, and supporting kids as they start the new school year with homework, motivation, understanding grades, understanding academic styles, and goodness of fit in your parenting and your child's academic style. So much to discuss. I'm so happy to have her. And of course, if you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed making this episode and having this conversation, please don't hesitate to write a little review on Apple Podcasts. It always helps get more out there. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribe and check out my bulletin, dreliza.bulletin.com. And please don't hesitate to DM me follow-up questions on my Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. And of course, in the show notes, I will also have a link to Dr. Demore's podcast, her books, her article, and her resources. So we're going to talk about motivation, and we're going to stop making it a binary Intrinsic motivation is what we're looking for at all times. Extrinsic is a no-no. And I am so beyond excited to talk to you about this because it actually infiltrates everything else, emotional, behavioral, like conversations around parenting. But let's stick with motivation in school. And it goes back to everybody stop being so extreme. It's such a good point. And then if we can talk about this, maybe then we can go into the next steps, which is being more strategic about it because it's just not always one or the other. So let's just start with framing motivation and what we're looking for when we think about motivation as everybody's prepping to go back to school. Okay. So here we are. We're in the transition back to school. I'm so excited to be here talking about this with you because it's one of those like axes I love to grind. And I'm so (laughs) glad you've invited me to grind this axe on your fabulous, fabulous podcast. So when we talk about motivation and how kids get motivated for school, but this is motivation theory that applies across the board, very quickly, what experts bring across is this binary 
of intrinsic motivation, which is you do stuff because you want to and your heart's in it and you like are just you love the work for the sake of the work. And then extrinsic motivation, which is you do it because you have to or because you're going to get rewarded for it or because you're going to get punished for not doing it. Okay, these are actually good descriptions of what intrinsic and extrinsic are. Where things start to fall apart is that we put value judgments on these. And there is a very common practice of treating intrinsic motivation like it's the end-all be-all and all good students have it and they have it all the time. And this is really the goal of all education. And treating extrinsic motivation like you shouldn't need it and the lesser students require it and it's a problem if a child is relying on it. And that's where things fall apart in the conversation about motivation. And I think about our careers and we get to do the jobs that we have always wanted to do. But I will speak for myself. There are also plenty of days where I'm like, you have to work for 20 more minutes and then you can have chocolate. Right. (laughs) You have to if you can do if you can write 100 more words, you can have another cup of coffee. Right. So we have to recognize that even when you are doing your dream job and getting paid in an office of your choosing, intrinsic motivation comes and goes. And we often fall back on extrinsic motivation to get stuff done. So I think the first helpful framing is to recognize these are two different gears. They both get us down the road of getting the work done, right? Like that's the road, getting the work done. And that your best workers are the adults and the kids who know how to switch back and forth between the gears, who are like, you know what? I Mm -hmm. am having a hard time getting started on my work. So I'm going to start with the stuff I want to do. So I'm switching into intrinsic motivation to actually even get the car onto the road. And then they're like, oh, I wanted to do this. An hour ago, I have zero interest now, but the work is not done. I am now going to tell myself that if I finish it, I can actually roll around on the floor with a dog for five minutes. So they have switched to that extrinsic gear. And so I think that that's how we want to think about it, that this is a constantly flowing experience as a student or a worker, that you just go back and forth between these. There need be no shame about relying on extrinsic at times. We all do. And I think the other thing we want to say before we get too further in is there's a lot of kids who both want a good grade in a class and are intrinsically invested in the work. That it's not like either you care about the grade or you care about the work. These are often coexisting. So The main thing I want to say, but then we will like really unpack what this looks like on the ground is Mm -hmm. just let go of the idea that one of these is good or one of these is better or you only ever have one. It's so true. And I will say I get caught in this on the other side with my older daughter because she is so self-motivated, but she loves, she's so internally motivated rather. Mm -hmm. Like she gets super interested in stuff. But the kid loves the accolades and the grades. And I have found myself when she like met, you know, the report card comes out, she's like waiting by her computer and I don't even look at it. And she is like, mom, I worked really hard and I would like for you to see the work that I did. I know you don't quote unquote care about my grades, but of course that's because she's getting good grades. (laughs) It's a very convenient, (laughs) relaxed state on my part. But I noticed a few years ago that I was not even 
acknowledging who she is as a person, which is a person mm-hmm. who likes it, both of those things. Mm-hmm. And that I was putting a value judgment that God forbid she's extrinsically motivated as well. And that was mm-hmm. my bet. So it doesn't even matter if you know this stuff. It's yeah, still, it we've got, we've got these associations with intrinsic versus extrinsic. And it also undermines parents, I think, because it makes parents call into question, well, I kind of do care about how my kids do. Does that mean that I'm not optimizing my parenting? So let's talk about all of this. I'm so glad you've said all of that. So, I mean, I think terms like grade grubbing don't help us here. Because it really does kind of give that sense of like, oh, if you care about the grade, then you don't really care about the things you're supposed to care about, whatever. And so part of me is like, okay, wait, hold the phone. If kids aren't supposed to care about grades, why are we even giving grades? Right? Like, like, I mean, like, 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 I'm like, it's still so cheap to be like, or here, I'll put it this way. I'll put it this way. So I remember being at a girls' school in the South, um, which means nothing here, but I don't know why. But anyway, I was at a girls' school. And the faculty were complaining to me about the fact that the students were very perfectionistic, like very much driven towards perfectionistic attitude at school, which girls can be very prone to. And I said, do you give A pluses? And they said, yes. And I said, do you give an award for the kid who gets the most A pluses? And they were like, yes. And I'm like, here's the thing. You can't complain that they're being perfectionistic and then crown the queen of perfectionism in front of everybody you can do one or the other, right? You can do, well, I don't care which one you do. Well, I do care which one you do, but you can't do both. And I think that that happens so often in academic settings where we're like, here's your grade. We're also attaching all of these other meanings to grades. And wait, why do they care so much about grades? Okay, grades matter. Grades are a measure. They are a measure though of mastery of material, right? Like that's where we can have a good conversation about grades. They should measure how much mastery a student got of the material. And that is a measure that is important for us to have. We do want to know that. What they shouldn't measure or be felt to measure is how much the student is liked, how honestly they don't they shouldn't, but they don't measure how hard the student worked. There's other ways to measure that. You know, they shouldn't, and they unfortunately do measure privilege, like they reflect what that kid is coming into the building with in terms of all sorts of supports. But we want to like tease apart like what's a grade? Why do we care about it? Why should we care about it? But I don't think we want to start from the position of it's not okay to care about your grades. Or if you care about your grades, it means you don't care about the work. Now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsors. Okay, I'm very excited for you to try my sponsor, Caraway, with the discount code HUMANS for 10% off the healthiest and prettiest cookware and bakeware set you will find. It's time to ditch the chemicals with Caraway Homes non-toxic cookware and bakeware collections so that you can make healthier cooking a piece of cake. Caraway Homes non-toxic kitchenwares are all designed for the modern home and feature a chemical-free ceramic coating so food can be prepared with peace of mind that no hard-to-produce compound will leach into your healthy ingredients. All sets come equipped with easy-access storage solutions so that no stacking is required. Gone are the days of misplacing your lids, and they have a gorgeous new, long-awaited Iconics collection, high design, upgraded, two unmistakable classic shades, both dressed up in my favorite glossy gold hardware. I love the black with gold. It is so chic, and I just cannot get enough of it. 
Visit carawayhome.com slash humans to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for Raising Good Humans listeners. So visit carawayhome.com slash humans or just use the code humans at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. Regardless of what stage of parenting you are in, I think we can all agree that if you're a parent, you may not be sleeping as well as you remember once back in the day sleeping soundly. I have a great solution for you. Magnesium by Moon Juice. It's a delicious pink drink formulated with three forms of bioavailable magnesium and L-theanine to help with muscle relaxation, deep sleep, healthy brain activity, and a deep calm. I mean a deep calm. All things that are not easy to come by as parents, but are super important for both our health and happiness. So many of us are deficient in magnesium, actually over 50% of the United States. This can manifest as brain fog, headaches, low mood, fatigue, insomnia. So it's super important to find high quality magnesium powder to replenish your body. Most magnesium supplements on the market contain one form of magnesium. But magnesium has three forms to target muscles, brain, and digestion. The ingredients are 100% traceable, unadulterated, sustainably sourced, and formulated for maximum absorption, which means maximum results. And magnesium helps you fall asleep and stay asleep. I drink it and I am absolutely just knocked out. One of my favorite parts of magnesium is it also has L-theanine, which helps promote the same brain waves that are created during meditation. They call it meditation you can sip. It's so easy to mix one teaspoon into water, dissolves instantly, and tastes delicious. I love to use it before bed to help me wind down, and I wake up feeling totally refreshed and replenished. To get the sleep of your dreams, head to www.moonjuice.com humans and use the code human at checkout for 20% off. In the earlier years, you get a report card. And I think a lot of parents in that moment are wondering, am I supposed to show my second grader what their school report says? At what age does this conversation start? And how can we have a conversation in the earlier years? And then let's maybe take it into starting in seventh grade and the middle schoolers experience and the high schoolers experience about how we're coming at them regarding Rates. Oof, it's a great conversation. Well, when I think about elementary school and early middle and what should be happening academically, like what we want to see happen, for me, the key is the building of good habits, you know, sort of the development of a foundation of how to do school and do school successfully. You know this as well as anyone, and you've seen this as much as I have. Down the line, school success is actually not about being the smartest kid in the class. It is about being the kid who can make themselves do work when they don't feel like working. Like, I, honest to God, I feel like that's like all it comes down to, right? You can have a super genius, but they're like, eh, they don't like to do the work and they, they struggle. And then you can have a kid who may not have a huge intellectual endowment and they're a great worker and they absolutely crush it. They do incredibly well. So what I would say is as the grades are coming back, whatever they are in elementary school, like however, whatever's getting measured, the kinds of questions I'd want parents to assess with their kid is, how are you coming along in your work habits? And what are these grades, are they saying anything about your work habits? And that's what I would want them to focus on. And then I think 
the kinds of conversations that can start third, fourth, fifth grade, when kids start to have homework that parents can see, I would say would be a very open conversation about the conditions under which the child can get work done. So where does the kid work effectively? What you and I both know, the fewer distractions, like nobody can really multitask. That's not a thing. How do, where do we set you up that you get work done? And then back to the motivation stuff, when you come across work that you're struggling with or don't want to do, what's the plan? Not like shame on you, child, but like, yeah, just what's, what's the plan? What's the plan? Do you want me to sit next to you while you do it? Do you want to set a timer and make yourself work for 10 minute increments and just make a plan to try to hit three of those and then see where you're at with it? And is it easier for you to do work? Because you know you're going to be graded. If that helps you, fantastic. If that puts gas in your motivational, you know, in your in your car that gets you down the road, fine. Talking openly about the fact that sometimes it's easier often for kids to do work for teachers they really love as opposed to teachers that they don't feel that they're a good fit. But just opening that conversation up about what what gets you, what gets the work done? And how do we pull on all of these different options to get you through the work that needs to be done? And, and just, I think a lot of it is adults being introspective and talking openly about, you know, how they get work done that they don't feel like doing, the ta- strategies and tactics that they use. But I think we just really want to get away from the idea that good kids want to do all the work and they want to do it because they love the work. They don't care about the grade. We've got one kid, two different nights. One yes. night, they like the teacher. They like the subject. They like their dinner they're into it. And one night it's a slog for them. So that's when you call on those strategies. What's your plan? And that's also when you reassure them every day, you don't want to do it. That's same with me. Same with me. And so then I think, yeah. Okay. So on the nights when the kid's in the mood or likes the work or has juice, has energy, like as parents, we don't even notice those evenings, right? Like those things like, you know, it's your older daughter, like you're not even part of the process. But when the kid is unhappy or not getting it done or falling behind, what I think we might do, you know, especially to sort of kick off the school year, is really strategize with kids about what works for them to keep them going. And I do think, you know, there's sort of a good standard list of things. So a couple I've mentioned, sometimes honestly having company, just being, not having to sit alone with it, where the parent says, do you want me to come answer my email? I have a bunch of emails I got to get through. Do you want me to just sit next to you? I'll work, you work. I don't want to do this. You don't want to do that. We'll do things we don't want to do together. That's huge for kids. That is a huge, it doesn't seem like much. It makes a huge difference. I actually have become very interested in timers. People talk about the Pomodoro method all the time, which is like a 25 minute timer and a five minute break. I get most of my work done with a timer. You know, if I have stuff that I'm like, I have to do this, I'm not, I don't really have the energy. I will make a plan for how many 20 minute increments I think I can work. I will use my watch, set a 20 minute timer work for that, get up, go to the bathroom, get some food, come back. And I get through by checking off increments. That's how I get it done. It works really well. And I am 52 and love my job. And I still need to do that. You know, so I think those kinds of things, I think actual rewards, right? Do you want to plan your snack for this time? Tell me what you want. I'll make you a really nice snack. We'll have it happen. Older students are very funny and creative about how they do this. Learned from a bunch of 10th graders. There are YouTube videos of earnest students studying in libraries. It's hilarious. Like there are these beautiful libraries and these, you know, very, very deeply concentrating college age students. Some have music, some do not. And so some students will set up a, like 
a video of another student studying next to them while they study. My favorite, this one cracked me up so much, was a 10th grader who made video recordings of herself while she studied and then would speed them up because it amused her so much to show her parents like all the funny faces and stuff she made while concentrating. But she also knew that if she was recording herself for a 20 or a 30 minute stretch, she would keep at it. Okay, so they will come up with stuff that would never have crossed our minds, but have those conversations. There are many things that you're pointing out, but one thing that strikes me for everybody to remember is what is a strategy for you may not be a strategy for your kid and involving them in that conversation instead of just telling them the strategic plan is going to be much more beneficial. And also the example of doing, you know, answering your emails while your child is doing their homework, because it's just a little bit nicer to have somebody with you potentially that's quite different than hovering over your child to make sure that they're getting their homework done. And that was what was so important about that comment. One is you're collaborating, you're empathetic, you're there, and you're both doing your thing, even if you didn't really want to. And the other feels like you're starting a battle that doesn't need to happen. Yep. So I want to think more about that, just ways to get through it. And if you're catching it, because you can hear parents saying it's just a fight every time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for some kids who don't feel motivated on that particular day. Mm-hmm. And it may be as simple as just shifting the culture so that you're more in it together than yep. standing over them. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. And so, okay, so here would be another version of doing that kind of thing. And I'll tell you what I just was reminded of, and then I'll tell you how we can transfer it to parenting. So my first faculty job was at the University of Michigan, and I taught in the psychology department. And of course, Michigan has a very large Greek system. And then, of course, the younger students would be involved in Rush. And there would be a point in, I don't know, I think it was like October or whatever, where they would come to class. And they like you could tell they were wrecked. Like they were exhausted by the Rush process. And as far as they were concerned, having come to class was like as much as they could possibly do when they wanted. Like that, they were pleased. And so I would be trying to run a discussion section. And it was like with zombies, right? And so I started to say to them, all right, let's take five minutes. I want you guys to tell me about how tired you are. And like, give it to me, like, tell me all about it, right? And they'd be like, oh, you know, and then they go on and on about how they hadn't slept and how exhausted and how like demanding. And I would be like, all right, okay, it's over. Let's do class. And then they would totally rally for class. And so I think you could do the same thing with a 10-year-old, right? He's like, I hate this class. I hate this teacher. I hate this subject. I I think you could say, all right, I'm starting my watch. I want five minutes of how much you hate this. Like how like- Your best. (laughs) Give me your best, most bitter, most, you know, condensed complaints. Let's do it, kid. And then be like, all right, let's do the work. You know, and I think you could totally do that. And, And again, it goes to what you're saying is like, as opposed to being like, what's wrong with you? You should like this or the better kids like this or whatever. Just being like, you know what? This stinks. You're stuck with it. I am here for the complaints and let's get them out of your system. And then I'll sit with you while you do the work. And going back to motivation, if a kid feels like they're motivated to do the classes they like, they're Mm -hmm. not motivated to do the classes they don't like, are we setting up a little bit of a culture where that kid is like, I guess I'm not the kind of learner that that is internally motivated because I only, you know, like what I like. I don't mm-hmm. like what I don't like. 
we setting them up to sort of question themselves because we're questioning those kinds of kids? I, I don't even know the answer because I hadn't really thought about how binary motivation is looked at, especially when it comes to school. Yeah. Well, I do think, I think that without being explicit about it, we send a message and kids get the message that, and especially the highly conscientious students get the message that they really should like it all. And it's on them if they don't. And I think that's a place, you know, we talk about how stressful school could be for kids and how much we worry about the stress on them. And there are large structural issues that we have to solve. But I actually think, you know, thinking about, like, say, your older daughter, who's this highly conscientious kid and is the kind of kid, not knowing her, you know, who can easily internalize this idea of, like, I really shouldn't feel like I don't want to do the work ever. To say to students like that, oh, no, no, of course there will be work that you either never like or don't always like. That's just normal. Like, that's expectable. We ask you to do everything at school. We don't let you specialize. To even just grant them that, that like, that fact, right? Because yeah. and and the way I think about it is, like, you don't have to pretend to like all the work. You just have to do the work. And I think, I think there's a lot of energy that kids exert either in pretending to like it because they think that that's the expectation or feeling worried about themselves because they don't like it all. And so as we launch into another school year and we think about kids and stress and anxiety, and we especially think about kids who may be in very ambitious or demanding programs, one way we can just shave off some of that demand is to be like, you can hate it. That's all right. Do it. <laughs> but like, it seems so small. But if you multiply that over a conscientious student's week, that's a lot of time and energy they could get back or a lot of worry and energy they don't have to expect. This reminds me very much of when I was in my, I don't know, I was in my late 20s and I said to my friend who loved running every day, in my view, she was always up. We lived in the same building. She got up, she went for her run on the West Side Highway and she was so good about it. And I was just like a potato next to her. <laughs> and I was just, I said, maybe once a week, I'm kind of like, yeah, I want to get outside and do that. And then I just can't, I'm just not interested. I am so jealous that you love this. And she looked at me and she said, what are you talking about? I often hate it. I just made the decision that I need it for my mental and physical health. And some days I want to do it and some days I don't. And that's just like the idea that you have to be intrinsically motivated to work out every day or four days, whatever the is ridiculous. And I was like, what? I don't have to like this. Yep. 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 <laughs> I thought there were people who were those types and there were people like me. And I didn't, it didn't even occur to me that those types also wake up some mornings and don't want to. And it's, it was just such a new concept to me because I really did think like you're either that kind of person or you're not. Mm -hmm. Well, and okay, so this is, I think, how a lot of kids feel in a classroom where mm -hmm. they're not into the work because they're not into the work. It's not interesting to them. It's not where they're at right now. Like there's no judgment about why the kid's not into the work. They're just not into the work. But they observe that other students are actually plowing through the work. And I think it happens all the time that they're like, oh man, those lucky kids who want this, love this. I wish I were one of those kids. And I, so I think again, it's yeah. like, that's a great story. It's like, 
know, they don't want to do it either. They're just better strategists than you are. And your job is to become a better strategist to get it done, like to, to really think about how to get it done. And it's such a tiny adjustment, but it's so, I think, humane for kids to just yeah. say like, oh, I had a, oh, I had a teacher I hated working for. I had a class I hated working for. And I think the other place, if we think about where the parents' influence comes in. So I love the way you set it up of like, you know, often we can start to lean on a kid or ride on a kid in a way that's not necessary. I think the other place we wonder about is like praise or admiration or whatever. And, you know, there's some research showing like praise can undermine intrinsic motivation, which is not entirely true, right? The idea being that if you're like, oh, you did such a good job. I'm so proud of you that that will somehow diminish a kid's pleasure or joy in it. That's not necessarily true, right? I do think, though, that there are times when we can say something like, you know, when you do really good work for teachers you love, I think that's impressive. When you do really good work for teachers who are not your cup of tea, I think that is extremely impressive. And and I try to use words like, I'm impressed by what you did. You should be so proud of yourself. I try to steer clear as a mom from like, I'm so proud of you because I don't want to in any way claim a part of it. And yet at the same time, kids also care when their parents are proud of them. And so I think I'm not saying that's off the table. I think we want to use it sparingly. And whenever I have used it, and I've tried to be really thoughtful about when I use it, I will say something like, you should be so proud of yourself. And I also want you to know I am so proud of you. Right. So like, I, I try to like couple it with the like, you should really appreciate for yourself what has been pulled off. Like you can't stand this teacher and yet you did beautiful work. And now a word from my wonderful sponsor, Once Upon a Farm. I love Once Upon a Farm, not only because it's the leading baby food and kids snacks brand offering organic cold pressed fruit and veggie pouches dairy-free smoothies, overnight oats, plant-rich meals, and more. And not only because it's made with whole farm fresh ingredients and no added sugars, concentrates, or anything artificial, their subscription offering is fully customizable so you can pick and choose from their wide variety of blends or meals and switch it up before every delivery, but also because they just do the right thing. They use the right ingredients. They're ethical. They do good things in the world. They have great partnerships. And I love their founders. So since back to school is coming and we know the hustle and bustle can get chaotic, use Once Upon a Farm to help you with healthy on-the-go snacks for kids of all ages. And if you have a new baby or toddler in the house, consider their new offering of plant-rich meals to introduce new flavors and textures. You know I'm a huge fan. I love them so much. My teenagers even love them so much. So go find Once Upon a Farm at Retailers Nationwide or online. Get started today and enjoy an additional 35% off your first subscription order. Use the code HUMANS at onceuponafarmorganics.com. That's onceuponafarmorganics.com. Onceuponafarmorganics.com. We talk so much about growth mindset and praising Mm -hmm. in the context of growth mindset and the way that we're helping motivate kids. But what you're talking about is let's get beyond growth mindset to strategic mindset so that we're not just stuck. Cause I think a lot of people got stuck with 
you're not good at this yet. And, (laughs) or just adding the yet or all of the wonderful nuggets of growth mindset and Mm -hmm. process, not outcome and not to diminish the importance of those, but it does get you stuck when you're now like, okay, I've pushed for the growth mindset, but what about the next step? It Mm -hmm. didn't work or I still need to get the grade or I'm still not motivated. And so what are some ways to, to get beyond growth mindset? And maybe Mm -hmm. it's worth mentioning growth mindset more specifically, but I just love kind of pushing past everything that we've been Mm -hmm. thinking about and going into the strategies that are going to help build these students so that they feel a real sense that they've got this. Yep. No, oh man, this is such a good direction to go. Okay. So growth mindset being this, you know, hugely, hugely useful. And I know you feel the same way, like contribution, which is basically there's two kinds of students, like kids who feel like you can grow your skills with effort and kids who feel like you're born with your skills. And if you are very skilled, lucky you, and if you're not too bad. Okay. So there's a tremendous benefit to understanding these and to really, um, you know, they really do shape how kids approach school in a very powerful ways. And okay, like any good idea, it can be stretched beyond its utility and, you know, used to make kids feel bad about things they shouldn't feel bad about. Like, so like acknowledging all that. Yeah. But even if we go with the idea of like, we're good with growth mindset and we love it. Growth mindset hinges on motivation. It's basically saying, keep working, keep working, keep working regardless of the outcome sometimes. And you're like, wait a minute, you want me to keep working and I may not even be getting the outcomes I'm going for. or And this is the other like real, I think, challenge of like helping kids live with growth mindset in the real world is they're like, okay, but here's the problem. I'm over here working my buns off for this B and that kid I can tell is phoning it in and knows all the answers because they just do. Right. And so like it comes up against the reality of a classroom where kids are looking at endowment and they're like, this doesn't feel fair (laughs) and it doesn't feel fair. And so then the question is, how do they maintain motivation anyway, right? How do they maintain motivation anyway? So I think that that's where we want to be honest about growth mindset, that sometimes it's very hard to maintain motivation if you're not getting the work outcomes, right? It's a lot easier if you work hard and then get a good grade, you're like, check it out. I'll do that again. There are a lot of kids who work hard, don't get the grade they were hoping for, or who have an undiagnosed learning disorder are working like dogs and feeling like they're going backwards, how those kids show up for school every day is beyond me, right? I mean, the idea of being in a place where you are eight hours a day grinding and you're watching all these other kids get outcomes and you're not getting the same outcomes. Like we don't spend nearly enough time talking about the morale of kids who are square pegs in the round hole of what school is, right? So like, this is where the motivation, like it all comes back to motivation. Like, why would they do the work? Why would they keep doing the work? So I think having made a huge mess of what you just put on the table, here's what I will say. I think the one of the more useful things to say alongside a growth mindset, you know, approach to things is no matter where you are in your academic or professional trajectory, there will always be people who are better at it than you are. And there will always be people who are worse at it than you are. Like that's a done deal. And you have to be okay with that. Like you really have to be okay with that. You cannot be the best at anything. Or if you're the best, you're the best for a nanosecond and then someone else has got more skill than you do. Your attitude has to be one, ideally, of being inspired by the people who are in front of you 
and trying to grow in their direction. That's as good as it gets, right? So I remember sitting at my college graduation and academic awards were being given out. And as they were describing the work, and it was actually, they gave them out in three, like it was humanities, social sciences, and maybe natural sciences. I think that was it. And all three awards went to women that year. And they were describing the work these women had done. And I remember sitting at my graduation thinking like, I can't even conceptualize of the work these women have actually already done. And they're my exact age. We're exact same, you know, grade level. And just sort of having that really like, I will, there will always be way smarter and more capable people than me. And you got to be good with that. You got to be good with that. And then you've got to be like, wow, like, what are they doing? Could I, you know, breathe a little bit of the air in a room they've been in? You know, like, could I grow a little? Like, I think that that's how you mash up the limitations of growth mindset with the ongoing need for motivation. What do you think? Does that work for you? No, it totally does. And it makes me, I'm, I'm also stuck on, because, and this was not your circumstance. You were a rock star academic who just was noticing other people that were bigger rock stars is my guess, right? You weren't like, meh. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying. Lord knows I was trying. You You were trying enough that there were many people who were not accomplishing what you had accomplished, but there were people that were accomplishing more. But what you said that really struck me is what are we doing with those kids who every day is like this struggle? And on top of that, they're not getting the praise and rewards and small bites of motivation that's extrinsic because we're afraid to do that. When in fact, it may be that is absolutely the only good part of this process for them. And I wonder about that because we've gone so far in the other direction mm-hmm. of not making this about that extrinsic motivation. And I'm mm-hmm. just thinking about these kids and what that does when we say that they have to find it within themselves. No, okay. So this is the most important part of this conversation is the kids for him school is not a good fit. And it's not because they're not bright. It's not because they're not capable. It's because the cognitive profile that they happen to either be endowed with or have at that moment does not map on well to the cognitive demands that are conventional schooling. And what we really need to say and buy billboards and like buy airplanes to show banners behind them, school measures a very narrow band of skills. And you are a lucky duck if you are good at those skills. I was good at those skills. You were good at those skills, right? Showing up at school was an okay thing for us. But we still didn't want to do it half the time, right? And my husband's a teacher and he said the most beautiful thing, it's a sad thing, but he said for a lot of school kids, school is where you go to be sorted. And I know, and he's right, you know, and I don't think you notice it if you happen to be sorted into the pile of kids who are actually quite comfortable at school. You don't even notice it. The other kids are noticing it. And a lot of people are raising other kids who are like, I don't feel like school fits me well, or what they're asking me to do does not come to me easily. Okay. So we have to think deeply about what this means. So one is obviously schools should be turning themselves inside out to try to meet those kids exactly where they are, or to try to adjust 
what needs to be taught in a way that does map on to what those kids' skills are. There's a huge amount of supports that can be provided. There's a huge amount that can be done. And yet, there are a lot of kids for whom, and I use the square peg round hole, that's how school's going to feel. And for those kids, I think the messaging needs to be along the lines of saying to them, your brain is great. Your brain is perfect. Your brain works differently than schools teach. And schools are pretty rigid in how they teach. So you're going to do amazing things. There's no question about it. Our job is to get you through school in a way that you feel good about yourself. Okay, so that may mean that for every day you are showing up and tolerating how ill-fitted the school has made itself to you, we are like throwing parties, right? (laughs) We are just like so appreciating that you are still doing it. It also means we find stuff outside of school where you can feel really good and where you can start to live into the cognitive profile you do have and enjoy that and build it and celebrate it. And then I think you can start to do attaching, like that goes back to motivation, right? Like we know that school is a straight uphill for you. We are going to ask you to do that uphill because we don't really have a choice or this is a school we got or, you know, but to compensate when you're not in school, we're going to make sure you are talking to this music producer. We're going to make sure you are getting to work with your hands. We're going to make sure so that we do attach, like we're asking you to do this, but the payoff is you get to do that. Like I think we can think in those ways and that might be, should be how we do it. Yeah, no, I love that. And Here's what that also makes me think of. Let's say you just mentioned this. You were one kind of student, and then your kid is another kind of student, and they're the kind that whose brain wasn't built for this rigid way of teaching that's going on at this school, except yours was. And so you just don't understand like what's going on. Don't you hear this all the time from parents? Like, I just wasn't that kind of student. I just did the work I was told to do. Like it mattered to me that I got the A. It mattered to me. And then they're just like, why is my kid so lazy, so unmotivated, so unpleasant about it? So fill in the blank. And I wonder what we can say for parents who are struggling with the goodness of fit between Mm -hmm. their way of understanding what it's like to be a student and their child who's just a totally different kind of student. Yep. Yep. So I hope that our conversation so far has helped, right? Like, the, like I think that so much of us as parents, myself are steeped, included, are steeped in a culture that has like just thrown all these value judgments around how students should approach school. So, okay, so if we start to push those away and say, eh, you know, those aren't helpful to anybody, and they're certainly not helpful to kids for whom school isn't working very well right now. So I think we do that. You use the term goodness of fit which is inside baseball between us that I want to unpack a little bit because it's like a really, really important concept. So that term comes from the temperament literature and the literature showing that, you know, kids come born with temperaments, easy, difficult, and slow to warm up. And the, for me, the like glorious finding of that research was not that there was a particular temperament that predicted to outcomes in adulthood that were better than others. The only thing that predicted the outcomes was goodness of fit between the parent and the child. So you might have a parent who themselves is not at all slow to warm up, but they have a slow to warm up kid. And the thing that predicted the outcome for the kid is how much the parent could adapt to the kid, how much the parent could adjust their parenting to work with the kid they have. And so I think that I'm so glad you brought up that phrase because we already we have a body of literature 
that tells us how this works, which is trying to get the kid to be <laughs> you doesn't get it. Doesn't work. Doesn't get the outcomes you want. Trying to figure out how to meet your child where they are and get them where you think it would be helpful for them to go is what goodness of fit really means. And we know that all good things come down to goodness of fit, and that's what that definition is. So it's hard. It's hard. It's easy to say here. It's easy to do in this theoretical conversation. I am so glad I have two daughters and really have a very visceral understanding of you can know all of this, but at eight o'clock at night, when you so desperately want to go watch your show. I was, <laughs> and, I was waiting for what the show was going to be. Oh, right now it's Better Call Saul. We're finally wrapping Oh, that I don't up. know that. Oh, oh, oh. Am I living under a rock? I'm so excited. Well, it's the it's the prequel to Breaking Bad, and I think a lot of people are in a good Oh, okay. It's better than Breaking Bad, I think, in a lot of ways. So I know. Thank you. Yeah. Noted. All right. So now you want to go watch Better Call Saul. It's eight o'clock. It's eight o'clock, and you're exhausted from your day, and all you want to do is watch your Better Call Saul, get in bed yourself, and your kid is throwing down and having a hard time, and everything we've set up till now, notwithstanding, I think. It can be very, very hard in those moments to dig deep and think about what would goodness of fit look like in this moment and how do I support you? So again, I've gotten us into a mire. Let me then try to offer us a way out. Kids complain about school. All kids complain about school. If your kid's not complaining about school, something's wrong. And the reason I think that is kids hold it together very beautifully at school. And part of how they hold it together beautifully at school is knowing they can come home and be like, oh my goodness, listen to all blah, 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 blah. We should be really at ease with this as part of the process. The kid goes to school, is a graceful, wonderful citizen all day at school, in part because they're going to come home and give you the rundown of like every injustice that ever occurred. And because they can give you that rundown, then they can sit down and go do their work. And so I think a lot of times parents get stuck at the rundown and they're like, what is wrong with you? Or why is this? Or who do I need to call? And I think the more we can be like, oh yeah, no, that stinks. Man, that sounds terrible. I don't know how you got through that. Wow, gosh, that's awful. Okay, time to start homework, right? I mean, I think I think that that's five minutes. <laughs> do the five minutes and go all in on the five minutes. That works, I would say, way, way, way more than we expect it will. What are some good resources, some helpful resources, which I know you have, for parents who want to think about this further? Okay. So a while back, I wrote a Times column on motivation. And I think the title was something like Helping Students Do Homework School When Motivation's Gone Missing. And it really, you know, recaps a fair bit of what we talked about and then links to the research on it. So for Time subscribers, that's an option. But for everybody on my website, which is drlisademore.com, there is a tab if you look under how can I help with downloadable bookmarks. And there's six downloadable bookmarks. And one is called how to do homework. And it basically is a point by point strategy of helping kids tune into intrinsic and extrinsic motivation and use them in tandem to get work done. So that is free and downloadable. And I can, I'll pass along the links to you. That's so wonderful. And we'll put it on the, in the show notes. and. You have a podcast that has addressed this as well, and everybody can go listen to you every week. I do. It's called Ask Lisa, The Psychology of Parenting, and my fabulous co-host, Rena Ninen, and I take real parenting questions that we get, and every week we unpack them. 
Season three kicks off on August 30th, and we just really try to be very specific in addressing parents' needs and comes out every Tuesday. And it's so good, and it's so practical, and it's so rooted in science, and it's so needed. Well, thank you. That means a huge amount. I love your podcast, so that means a huge amount to hear that from you. 